Well, it's great to be with you this morning as we continue this new series. Um, Kev kicked this off last week with um, our series around disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. And he was um, really clear in, in expressing that as a church, we want to be a, a body of believers. We want to be a group of people who, who provide discipleship environments for growth, for those who already have a faith and for those who are coming uh, into the faith who may not yet know Jesus. And so we're, we're really excited about that. And, and so what I'm going to do today is take that analogy. Now, Kev mentioned last week that these discipleship environments that we want to create as a church are like the trunk of a tree. They're the big stable bit that flow from the roots up into the branches and the fruit. And so keeping that analogy going, I want to talk today about some stuff that happens down in the root system, the stuff that happens under the ground. And, and we want to be grounded in Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. And so the three areas that we're going to look at over the next three weeks, including today, are areas around our practices, the things that we actually do and how they can be grounded in the person of Jesus through what he modeled, through what he instructed and the truth that scripture calls us to, the things he said. Um, another thing, and I mentioned it there, is, is truth. We want to be grounded in truth. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So it's grounded in the person of Jesus. And so that's really important that we're grounded not only in the practices we do, but at the truth that is Jesus and the truth about the reality of life and what it's all about. Um, and then going into that, where I want to land today is really spending some time around our core beliefs the things that really shape who we are and, and then not only who we are and who we're becoming, but what we do with that. Um, so start, straight away, I want to sort of ask the question of myself, well, where do we get our core beliefs from? How do we access them? How do we know what they are? And, and just thinking about a little bit and, and it's, it's our thoughts, it's our thinking, it's our thoughts that give us the basic source of, of how we live life, how we interact in this world. And by thoughts, I, I'm saying it's, it's things like anything we're conscious of. So it's our memories, it's our perceptions of what's going on around us, it's our beliefs. And our thoughts and beliefs can pretty much be synonymous. They're, they're, we could say they're the same things. And they actually orientate us towards everything around us. It's the way we think about things that, that shape the way we engage. And so not only are our feelings and our emotions coming out of this, but it's even our actions. The things that we do are really shaped by our thoughts, by our ideas, by our beliefs. And so in the context of discipleship, in the context of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, and and encouraging others to step into that way of life, um, there's some scripture that speaks to this really clearly. Now, Paul writes a letter to the, the church in the city of Rome. And it's a really, really great letter in terms of just some real deep uh, theology and some understanding about how all of this works together. But with the context that the idea of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is that we change our thinking to align with 
the way Jesus thought about life so that we can start to live our lives in a similar way to how he would live our lives if he was in our place. And so I don't know if you've read the book of Romans. It can be hard going, particularly initially. Um, and just as a real snapshot, the first 11 chapters, now, now Paul didn't write it in chapters, that's something that's been added later on, but the first 11 chapters deal with the problem that we have as human beings in terms of being separated from God. And now the Bible uses this word sin to describe this separation, this, this idea that we've missed the mark. And so as Paul unpacks that in his writing to the church in Rome, he talks about how we cannot solve that problem for ourselves. We can't come back into right relationship with God through our own means. And then he talked about how the law was handed down to, to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, and the law was to help them do that, but they discovered that didn't work either. And then he describes how Jesus becomes the answer to the problem, that God himself in human form comes into his own creation and does what is required to bring us back into that relationship with God. And so it's the person of Jesus. And Paul talks about believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And when we do that, we not only have a new status with God, we not only step back into right relationship, but we are invited to be part of a new family. And we're actually given freely this gift of a new future. And so that's what Paul's unpacking in the first 11 chapters. And then he says this, therefore, and so the therefore stands for everything he's just unpacked in those first 11 chapters. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, you may have heard that before, but it's really key that that we don't conform to the patterns of this world. So that's not only talking about patterns of behavior and attitudes, but it's patterns of thinking, thinking about the way life works, thinking about God. Is, is God even real? Thinking about ourselves. What's the purpose of me being here? Is it for my own fulfillment or is it something to do with others? So don't conform to those patterns, Paul is saying. And the transformation comes, the change comes from renewing your mind. It's your thinking, it's your beliefs, it's your ideas. In another translation, uh, I just want to bring our attention to this. This is from the message uh, paraphrase. Same passage of scripture it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, sorry, brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And I love that phrasing that, that we've got this sense of um, fixing our attention on God. So, so that's where our attention is. That's where we're learning from. That's where we're aligning ourselves to. 
And the change comes from the inside out. So it's not about changing our behavior to make God happy. It's actually changing the way we think and our beliefs, our core beliefs. And out of those beliefs, we will respond and act differently. And I love that there's things we can do in this. It says readily recognize. So there's this intellectual understanding that's required of recognizing what God wants and what he's saying. And then we respond. We, we have action. It's our practices. It's our habits. So it's a great passage there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I came across a, a, a quote when I was doing some research around this. Dallas Willard is a philosopher, um, Christian man who writes lots around uh, spiritual formation and becoming more Christ-like. And this really grabbed me. He says, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is the thoughts that no longer occur to you. I just want you to think about that for a little bit. Maybe write that one down and take it away and ponder about it. But as we become more like Jesus, as we mature in our relationship with God, understanding of ourselves and others, one of the marks of spiritual maturity are the thoughts that no longer occur to us. It's an interesting thing to think about. So this idea of our beliefs, our core beliefs, this deep root that really shapes who we are as a person, there's a few um, synonyms with that. So it's, it's beliefs, it's our ideas, it's our thoughts. Um, and our ideas, now we all have ideas. So it's not, a, it's not like um, I'm talking about you're sitting there and you have this fresh idea about what you're going to have for dinner. It's, this, it's, the, it's the thinking around our ideas are those, those models of, of, of how we assume reality to be. It's the assumptions we have about what is real and valuable and important and beautiful and good. Those ideas shape us. So we all have ideas. We all have beliefs in a number of areas. I'll give you some examples. We have beliefs about education, about the importance of it, what it should look like, what it shouldn't look like. We have beliefs about relationships whether that's romantic relationships or whether that's friendships or whether that's um, like parent to child or, or some other family relationship. We have ideas about family and what it should be like and how it should function. We have ideas about democracy and we have ideas about justice. There's a whole bunch of things in life we have deep-seated ideas about and they are expressed when we actually um, come to a place where we need to um, share our point of view or we need to respond to a situation and it's actually our core beliefs that will then will start to be demonstrated. But I just want to go a little bit deeper with this and say that it's actually our ideas about God. It's our ideas about ourselves and it's our ideas and beliefs about the purpose of life that are probably most important. Our ideas about God ourselves and the purpose or meaning of life. And this is true for all humans in all places at all times in history. This is a human condition that, that the, the idea about God or, or, or some eternal being or, or something beyond ourselves in this transcendent reality, the idea about ourselves, who am I? What am I here for? What's life about? What does it mean to be me? These things are really important and they're important because we actually live out of the depths of, of what we believe in those places. It's in those 
hidden areas of life, the things that we often don't talk about and maybe don't even spend time thinking about for ourselves. And so with this analogy of the tree, we're talking about the root system, the stuff that's under the ground that is not visible to people, the stuff that, that really brings the, um, the, the stability and the nutrients and the life-giving um, vitality that we need to live, that all happens under the ground. So we're talking about who we actually are as people, who you truly are. I've always remembered this question that, you know, to find out who you truly are is who, who are you when no one else is looking? Who, who is the true you? Where does your mind drift to in those times when, when you might be daydreaming or, or you just um, you know, don't have anything you've got to be working on? Where does your mind drift to? Those sort of things, if we're aware of them, can give us indications of, of what really is going on for us in that deep, deep level. So as I said, what we believe about God, what we believe about the person of Jesus, what we believe about ourselves and life is really important because all those things, they help form what we call a worldview, our view of the world, our view of existence. Now, all of us have one. Maybe not all of us have stopped and thought about it and are able to, to explain it, but all of us have one of those. And so what we want to say is that when our when our worldview is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ, when those things about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he says and what he invites us into, when those things are grounded in Jesus Christ, they actually make sense. I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was speaking um, about Ravi Zacharias, uh, an apologist who often talked about there's four big questions that we have as humans. They are, they are questions around the origin of life, the purpose and meaning of life, around morality, how to live a good life, and then death, what happens after this body dies. And those things are important because they shape our worldview. And so at this point, I just want to say that the person of Jesus, as we are disciples of Jesus, as we are encouraging others to become disciples of Jesus, Jesus actually brings clarity and coherence that all makes sense when we ask those big questions. The answers in Jesus Christ for those big questions make sense. So our core beliefs, those inner parts of who we really are, as I've just mentioned, we may not always even be aware of what our true beliefs are. But even if we're not aware of them, we live in that space. It's part of it's part of how we live. It's who we, we are and who we're becoming. Our thoughts, our responses, our actions, our motives all flow out of this deep place. Now, as I read scripture about the life of Jesus so we can get some idea of how he did this and described this and lived this so that we can actually um, get, some, get some clarity for us to go forward in the same way, uh, John the writings of John are just brimming with this sort of stuff. John was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, John was uh, the disciple that's described, the one that Jesus loved dearly. And so John wrote a gospel account of Jesus' life. And there's um, a few letters in the New Testament that John wrote, again, really talking about the character and nature of Jesus. And he also wrote the book of Revelation at the end. 
But I want to bring your attention to a few of the things that John writes. Now, in his gospel, that's the account of the life of Jesus. uh, John gives us a really great line at the end, nearly at the end of the gospel, in the end of chapter 20. This is his reason for why he wrote a gospel, an account of Jesus' life. Look at this. He says, there are also many other things attesting miracles that Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things have been written so that you may believe with a deep abiding trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God, and that by believing and trusting in and relying on him, you may have life in his name. So there's his reason. This is why I have written these things down so that you would believe in Jesus. The message translation puts it like this. Jesus provided far more God revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. I like that phrase that we when we believe in the person of Jesus, we can have this eternal life just in the way that Jesus revealed it to be. Now, at the beginning of John's gospel, that was at the end of John's gospel. At the beginning of John's gospel, listen to what he writes in this same vein. This is in chapter one, verses six to twelve. John writes this. He says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Now, the light here is meaning Jesus. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's this picture again about believing. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And then not long after that, John writes what is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible that we refer to as John 3:16. But listen to what He says here, I'm going to read one version and then you'll see another. So in the NIV, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That might be familiar to a lot of you, whether you're joining us for the first time and you haven't had any experience in church with the Bible. You've probably heard John 3.16 before. But I want to show you just uh, in the amplified version what this looks like. So let's read it again. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son 
so that whoever believes and trusts him as saviour shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal saviour and Lord is not judged. For this one, there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal saviour and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God, the one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, the one who alone can save him. So we're, we're seeing John just starting to unpack what it means to believe. It's believe it is synonymous with trusting. It's synonymous with putting your faith in. It's, this, it's more than just mental assent to some ideas about Jesus. And so John repeatedly points out the importance of belief, the word belief that we're talking about here. Now, growing up, um, a lot of my time in the church, uh, my understanding generally was that to believe in Jesus or, or to trust Jesus meant that if I believed the right things about him, I could go to heaven when I die. So maybe that's your story as well. We, I was told, maybe you were told growing up in the church that if you just believe the right things about him and they were things like that Jesus was actually real, that he was the son of God, that he lived a life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. If you just believe those things, you'll be okay and you get to go to heaven. Now, as we've just seen with some of what John was writing in his gospel, the New Testament right through, but particularly John's writings, believing in Jesus is so much more than believing a few things about him. Believing in Jesus means that you think or you believe or you trust that Jesus is right. About what? What's he right about? Well, he's right about everything. Jesus is right about everything. And then to believe in him means we respond to, we act, we shape our lives around the fact that we believe that everything he said is right and correct and good and worth listening to and worth basing your life on. It's not just this mental ascent. I believe a few things about him and that's going to be okay at the end for me. So it's a lot deeper than that. Our core beliefs are these things that really shape who we are. And so if we are to believe in the person of Jesus, they will naturally shape who we are. Now, we can say that we believe in Jesus. We can say that. We can say those words. But it's possible that deep down in our core beliefs, we don't. I've spent much of my Christian life in church where that would have been true for me, that I would have said I believed all these things about Jesus, but the evidence of my life, the fruit of my life, the things that you, you can point to and, and look for in terms of evidence, 
it was lacking. I'll give you an example. Jesus says that, it, that we are to forgive when someone wrongs us. Now, if I believe in Jesus at the deepest part of who I am, then that becomes part of what I grab hold to be true, what I practice, what, what I do. Now, I can just look at my own life and go, there's many times when I have chosen not to forgive. Now, if I truly believed that is the best way to live and I truly believed in the person of Jesus, those two things don't, don't sit with one another. So how can I say I truly believe it and not do it? There's a whole range of things Jesus speaks to. He speaks about our use of money. In the, um, uh, there's a number of places where he talks about that, but um, you know, one of the things we could say is that, okay, if I truly believe that the way Jesus said to handle money is the best way to do it, let's stop and look at how I'm actually doing it. And there are times in my life when I've wanted to hang on to it. I've wanted to accumulate for myself because I thought in that there was security and in that I had to gather my own resources and I had to look after myself. And, and, and then when you look at what Jesus taught about that and what Jesus modelled and what he, what he spoke to, those two things don't match up. So how can I say I truly believe Jesus when I'm not doing the things that he said to do? when I'm not having the attitude towards something like money or forgiveness or lust or a whole range of things that, that he actually spoke to. Now, to look at all of that, uh, John Ortberg, he's a pastor in America, and I was reading some stuff that he was saying about this, and he identified three um, levels of belief. And they're really quite interesting. So the first level, he says, is, is public belief. So these are the beliefs that I want you to think that I believe, whether or not I actually believe them. So these are beliefs that I want you to think that I believe without possibly believing them. Now, I just wanted to go to Scripture to give an example of what we mean by that. So you might remember the story of Jesus um, and, and his birth in Bethlehem. And in our Chris, uh, Christmas narrative, we always have the three wise men turning up. Now, when we read about that in the scripture, these three wise men from the east come to worship this new king who's been born. And they go to King Herod and they say to Herod, where is this new king? And Herod's going, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But then Herod basically says to them, hey, when you find him, let me know where he is because I too want to come and worship him. Now, here's an example of that. Herod wanted the three wise men to believe that he wanted to come and worship this new king that had been born. But we know he didn't because as we follow the story, what Herod wanted to do was find out where this, where this child was, the one that was called king, and he wanted to kill him because that was a threat to his own uh, rule and power. And so here's an example of a public belief, a belief that I want you to think that I actually believe. The next level Ortberg talks about is personal beliefs. And these are the beliefs that I think I believe. And I'd even say that I believe them. But occasionally, when push comes to shove, it's revealed that I don't actually believe them. Great example of this in scripture is the disciple Peter. So he's with Jesus. Jesus has 
has ministered for about three years. He's coming to the time when he's about to be crucified. And, and Jesus basically says to his disciples, hey, guys, um, the time's coming and, and you're actually all going to flee. It's going to be so difficult what happens to me that you're all going to just, just leave me. And Peter speaks up. No, no, Jesus, I would never leave you. I would die for you, he says. Now, I believe that in that moment when he said that, he believed that to be true. So these are the personal beliefs, beliefs that I think I believe. But as the story goes on, we see that Peter didn't hang around. He actually didn't believe that Jesus was worth defending and aligning himself to because he denied Jesus blatantly three times, just like Jesus predicted. So that's our personal beliefs. And then below that is these core beliefs, these beliefs that we've been talking about, that they are the deepest part of how we perceive reality to be. It's interesting to note that it's pretty impossible to violate your core beliefs because they are the things that actually shape how we think, how we respond. Now, I'll give you an example of a core belief at work. So I have this core belief that there's this thing called gravity. And if I place myself in a certain situation, gravity will take effect on my body. And depending what that situation is, I could hurt myself. So as a kid, I discovered that I could jump off my bike onto the ground and that didn't really hurt. I discovered that I could jump off the trampoline onto the ground and that was okay. It jarred the ankles a little bit. But when I was on the roof of the house and jumped off, that was another story. So I understand and I believe it to the core of my being that this thing called gravity exists. So my actions are really careful when it comes to things where, you know, I might fall off a cliff or I'm on a high building or something like that. I'm really careful when I'm near the edge because I know that gravity will come into play if my body happens to be in a position where, where that's the case. So that's an example of a core belief. Now I live my life with the awareness of that. And so that shapes my understanding, my interactions and my actions, because I know that to be true. So you might ask me, okay, do you believe the Bible to be true? And I go, yep, at the deepest part of who I am, the Bible is true and what it says is worth depending your life on. But then I could take some things out of that about maybe it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's one of the teachings in the Bible. Now, do I actually live that? If I believe the Bible is, is true and worth basing your life on, am I basing my life on that one teaching? As I said earlier, what about the, the call to forgive those who, who wrong us? Do I do that readily as a natural reaction of how to live life well because it's based in, in, in the biblical truth and the person of Jesus? Or is that not really a core belief because I'm saying it's true, but when push comes to shove, I, I don't actually operate that way. I don't live that way. And so here's the link to discipleship. So we've got these levels of beliefs, these three levels down to our core beliefs. And here's the link. So if we are followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, apprenticed to Jesus, we are learning how to live life well. So it's not an apprenticeship where we learn how to be a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter. 
to be apprenticed to Jesus, you are learning how to live life well, live life in relation to God and one another. So my actions will always reveal my core beliefs. And as we read about the life of Jesus, we find that Jesus wants to change our core beliefs about those big questions I mentioned earlier about who is God, who is Jesus, who am I, what is life all about? Jesus wants to change our core beliefs so that we naturally live in a way that, that reflects the character and nature of Jesus, but it's the best way to live in his creation because he, he understands that, he created it. Now, we naturally obey Gravity. I don't wake up in the morning and have to psych myself up to remind myself that there's this thing called gravity and I've got to remember it. I just do it naturally. I don't even think about it. That's the kind of place we want to be getting to as disciples of Jesus, where the way we, we think about God, the way we think about ourselves, the way we've allowed Jesus to inform us about who we are, our, how he sees us, those things if they become so natural in just how we think about and what we truly believe, then we live out of the expression of that. You know, Jesus naturally lived in an awareness of the presence of God, his father. And he modeled that. We too can do that. I want to live out of my core beliefs. I want to be grounded in Jesus. I want to be aware that my core beliefs have been shaped by a whole range of things, by, by my history, by my experiences, by my memories, by the present, by teachings that I've received. They've been shaped by so many things, but Jesus wants to shape my core beliefs, your core beliefs, so that we align ourselves to the greatest reality there is, and that is the reality of God, the reality of the risen Jesus Christ, and the reality that we are called to be part of his redemptive work in this world so that we are aiming for a renewed and restored creation where we are eternal beings in a physical body, in a physical world, because that's what he's promised. That's what he's working towards. And the reality of that can help shape the reality, those core beliefs of how I live day to day. I want to finish with a passage of scripture out of Romans chapter 10. And if you're listening to this this morning or at any time, and, and again, maybe being part of a church community is not something that's been your experience in life. Maybe you're just checking this out. Maybe you've sat in church pews all of your life for years and years and years. Can I encourage you to consider that what we are talking about today is the most important thing about you as a person? Our core beliefs reveal not only who we are, but reveal how we engage with God, how we engage with others, how we engage with this world. It gives us, it gives us direction. It gives us a point of reference to know how to live life well. And when we base that life on the author of life, on Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he invites us into, there is no better life available. So this will be on your screen. I want you to read this and I want you to think about this. And if you're in a position where today might be the day, right now might be the moment where something has shifted 
where the Holy Spirit has been at work this morning and is just bringing some truth and revelation into your heart, into that deep part of who you are, into your mind, into your thinking, that believing in Jesus is what life is all about and is, it is the thing that shapes life going forward in the best way possible. Can I encourage you to think about that and maybe take this moment to consider these words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome as he was talking about these issues. He says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. That, that means all people. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is my prayer for you. That is our prayer for you as Coast Community Church. And we just trust that as you engage with Jesus at this deep, deep level, you will be in a position to not only to be able to say that Jesus is Lord, but he will set you up for a life that is just part of, of the goodness of his creation and a life that has eternal future, eternal promise and eternal meaning in terms of how we live day to day right now. So may God bless you in that and we'll see you again next week.